The quest is the central motif around which all stories are constructed. The hero of the story is given a quest, something to do or accomplish, that becomes the driving force of the entire plot. Now, when we open the pages of the great story, the Bible, we find something strikingly parallel. When God calls a man, he calls him out to take a quest as well. Moses was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Gideon was to take on the Midianites. Jeremiah was to be a prophet to rebellious Israel. And Paul was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But the story of the expansion of God's kingdom through his son is still being written today. And the way that happens is the same way it happened in the Bible. God is still calling out men to take a quest for his kingdom. But now let's open the pages of a man's heart as we think about the quest. It seems that the idea of a quest is what energizes him. It becomes a fiery longing that catapults him forward in life, giving him focus and drive. Without a quest, a man withers into simply finding the next pleasure, the next vacation, or the next distraction. He becomes a man without form or substance, vacuous and empty. Picture the difference between an arrow and an amoeba. I think that's the startling difference a quest makes in a man's life. When he awakens to his quest, he awakens as a man. He awakens to his own heroic But there is more here. The true quests that God gives a man are never achieved with a little more elbow grease or a little more sweat equity. The quests always appear impossible from the start. They're so far beyond it. I think God does it this way so that we become more and more dependent on His power and grace to accomplish the quest. After all, it's about building His kingdom, not ours. Church history is filled with stories of men taking on the quests God gives them and accomplishing what seemed to be impossible. I immediately think of William Carey, the founder of the modern-day missions movement, and then of William Wilberforce, who led the political drive to have slavery outlawed in England. What they both did appeared utterly impossible from the start, and yet, it happened. But one of my favorites is the story of St. Patrick. Most people only know about him from St. Patrick's Day. But this story is a remarkable story of a man awakening to his quest and building the kingdom of God in a striking way. Born in England into a Christ-believing family, he was captured at 16 and carried off to be a slave in Ireland. He escaped and made it back to England, but only after nearly starving to death. But one night, while back in England, he had a dream of hearing the voices of the Irish begging him to come back to them. Patrick awoke from that dream and obeyed the voice, going back to the place of his captivity, but now as a missionary. Because of his courage and obedience, Ireland was forever transformed. He succeeded in baptizing thousands of converts from Druidic paganism, including kings and their families. Patrick awakened to his quest and forever changed the world. I'm Bill Delvo, and this is Heroic a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. This episode, we're joined by Todd Atkins. Todd is the director of LifeWay Leadership. Since joining LifeWay, 
he has spearheaded the development of Ministry Grid, LifeWay's dynamic leadership development platform, and written Developing Your Leadership Pipeline, a tool to aid church leaders in developing their people. He also co-hosts the five leadership questions and Newport Church's Q&A podcast while managing the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You can find him traveling around the world training leaders, as well as staying busy on Twitter at Todd Atkins. Todd is a husband and father to four beautiful children and lives in the Nashville area. Todd is on a quest to help strengthen the church by developing its leaders. He knows personally what the quest feels like, both the good and the hard. These are some of the questions Todd and I will discuss. Who is a man and what is he supposed to be doing? What does it look like to hear the call of the quest and then grow into it? What does a man need to accomplish his quest? And what kind of men and leaders does he need in his life to finish the quest? Todd is witty and passionately believes that men are made for so much more than they realize. He is both challenging and fun to talk to. Thanks, Todd, for being with us today. I want to start with this question. Why do you think it's important for a man to awaken to his quest, his calling, his life? Well, I mean, for one thing, as as Christians, there's a couple of things we're called to. First of all is the Great Commission, you know, not just to uh, be a disciple but make disciples. But what that looks like is going to be a little bit different for each one of us, I think, Oftentimes, we fail to move from Ephesians two eight and nine to Ephesians two ten. We fail to move. Everybody can. So, yeah, talk about that. Everybody can. Everybody can quote Ephesians two eight and nine. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Like most of us can say that in our sleep, but we don't often move to the next verse, which is we are God's workmanship. And unpacking that and understanding, you know, we can parse the Greek and blah blah blah. But it's really like work of art like you're God's work of art His and he has specific things that he wants you to do mm-hmm. and we often just fail to recognize and realize that yeah and, and, and I think that's a really vital thing for us as church leaders I speak to church leaders all the time so um, I'm trying to awaken that and church leaders to help them understand that they need to be practicing Ephesians 4, which is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that means moving people from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to Ephesians 2, 10. Before the podcast, we were talking a little bit, and I was talking about you know church growth movement and how we started off treating baptism like it was the finish line instead of the starting line. And I think that's a big part of it. It is a huge part of it, yeah, because you know the quest is sort of like, you know, Getting the quest—that's the—that—that that is sort of part of that starting line growth. It's like, yeah, you've been baptized in the faith, but now you have something to do. You have a role to play. You have a part. You've got, you've got to find out what that is and just go do that. And Absolutely. that's what's going to center you as a man. Talk a little bit more about the Ephesians two, Tim, because it says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, if I remember correctly, for to, to do, do good works, which, which He prepared, prepared in advance before, yes. which He prepared in advance for us to do. So, talk a little bit about that in terms of how that sort of factors into how a man sees his calling and quest? Well, uh, I'm afraid for a lot of people, they haven't made that next step. So I would say um, there's three three awakenings that happen in your heart. First of all is the call from God to understand that you are – he wants you to have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Right. 
Um, but a lot of people stop, stop right there. Right. And we fail to help them get to the next step, which is realizing awakening, that second great awakening in their heart is who God has created them to be and what he's called them to do. And for a lot of people, they never, they never find it. And um, I think one of the worst things, one of the, the, just the, what a waste of life. There's a reason why yes. God left us here. He has things for us to do. And if we don't find those things, and if those things aren't called out of us, then God's not going to be, we are not going to be what we're called to be as the local church, that body in our community. So most of the time people will think about serving in the church and the, that those verses will be all about serving in the church. But that's basic housekeeping, taking care of our children, um, right. greeting people at the door. Like, you know, how many Sundays do people get up and make announcements trying to get those basic things filled? That's just taking care of us as a family. That has nothing to do with what God has called us to do in that local community right. through that body of believers. We can't even take care of our family, let alone get out there. And part of the reason is we treat baptism like it's a starting line. I'm sorry, like it's the finish line, when it is the starting line. And we don't call people into that next step. We just allow them to be busy and active. But that doesn't mean they're actually growing. No, it doesn't mean that. And you said to to discover, for a man to discover who he is and what he's supposed to do. And those are the questions of identity and quest. And that is sort of the, you know, the that that's like the the huge awakening beyond baptism right you know into that okay now this is where this is who i am and what i'm supposed to be doing with my life and then there's a third awakening and that is and that is making disciples recognizing that your fruit grows on other people's trees oh, yeah. it's not what you do it's who you develop and it doesn't matter what whether that's i'm a volunteer and i'm going to recruit and train and develop someone to replace me there or I'm at the leader level or I'm at the pastor level. Wherever you are, you are called to multiply yourself where you are. Um, and at the very least, make another disciple yeah, that's, who makes yeah, disciples. That is a great way to put it. Let, let's talk about your own story a little bit. Talk about how God awakened you. How did he bring you through, particularly that second awakening and even in that third awakening, to your own sense of calling and quest? So um, my dad became a pastor when I was eight. I accepted Christ the year before. And so that was a, you know, interesting time. Uh, what was you're he suddenly a, just a really strong lay person in the local church. So he, he entered the ministry for oh, yeah. at that point. A middle church in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. I can remember at that time there was something called training union that would happen uh, in the evenings at our church. And I can remember my dad shuffling gravel back and forth with his feet, talking to the pastor, you know, for an hour after it was over. And as a kid, you know, me going, man, I want to go. Man, I want to go home. All the other kids are now gone, um, still running around the churchyard and all that. But um, that's where that happened. That was called out of him. And I've watched my dad do that with a dozen other guys who are all bivocational. This is all, you know, small-town stuff. But to see that fruit – is absolutely amazing. So going back to where that was awakened in me, you know, I I think some of those seeds were were planted there now as I look back. It sounds but like they it. were more subconscious almost. Um, moving forward from there, um, 
I, you know, did my the typical pastors thing where you're the poster child preacher's kid and you rebel in high school and you uh, come back in college. Um, I came back actually um, right at the end of high school. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was a 19-year-old uh, kid who was, again, from the sticks, but now became a uh, student pastor and, and kid, student kids pastor in a really small church in inner city Cincinnati, which is two very different things. Yes, very different things. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. I can't believe I'm still in ministry because of some of the decisions I made, all those things. But um, it was there that suddenly I was like, okay, I kind of did this because I was asked. Uh, But in that process, you know, really began to to figure out that. Um, Fast forward a few years, I was in seminary, went to the very first Catalyst, um, and was lucky enough to have a professor about the same time who, uh, Brad Wagner, who would let me read business books and contextualize them to the church. Cause I was always drawn in leadership and business, you know, this side. And so I'm in seminary, I'm learning Greek and Hebrew, but you know, at the same time I had these leadership classes and, you know, they were supposed to read like the church handbook of administration. And I would be like, Hey, can I read these books instead of these books? I'll contextualize. And so he would let me do that. And honestly, that's where I really figured out who I was created to be. That was your, yeah. Oh, your sense for of sure. Identity. That was that this second. Is it. Uh, and second And I want to note something really important here. That that was desire. It was something you desired that you were drawn to that began to form right. who, this is who I really am, what I'm really supposed to be doing. Oh, totally. And and um, I I was a voracious reader. I mean ravenous um and it was i you know i wanted everything leadership soaked up everything leadership wanted to be this leadership guy fast forward probably three years um i'm like 24 and i've got the interim position at this church of about 1500 of over the adults which is kind of a bad idea anyway because a (laughs) lot of those adults were older than me and all that um, but I was filling the interim just fine, and I had my own passion, which was the young adult ministry. I started one. I started a service on Sunday nights, of course. That's what you did in the late 90s. Um, and, you know, after uh, a, a fair, fairly short period of time, it became pretty successful, a couple hundred people, you know, all that. And then um, the pastor was like, go ahead, forget your MDiv, get your, just get a mace and Come on, let's right. let, you know. Let's, come on, full time. Um, he didn't have enough change in his pocket to actually make that happen, mm. and so I, in my great spiritual maturity, um, decided to take my ball and go elsewhere. When that didn't happen, I did end up going back and uh, after doing the maze, getting an MDiv. But uh, I went with um, a, a guy you might know, Eric Geiger, um, who wrote Simple Church. We we always said we were going to write the process-driven church because at the time purpose-driven was big. And, you know, when you're in your 20s and whatever's popular, you rail against it. Um, but we went up and started this ministry up in uh, Cincinnati. And it, you know, grew and it was, everything was going great. I went back about a year later to visit my church and see my ministry. And it had been decimated. There was maybe 60 people there. And um, it broke me. I mean, it really broke me. And half the time I talk about it, I get super emotional. But that was when I had the third grade awakening because I had practiced leadership placement 
not leadership development. It right. wasn't that I didn't Instead put of making disciples, like making absolutely. disciples, multiplying yourself. No, I'd built it on uh, personality right. and hustle. On you. Yeah, and and it wasn't that I didn't put decent leaders in place, but I didn't pass along right that yes. conviction and that fire and that passion. They did it as much for me, or they did it. It, it wasn't. I practiced placement and not development, and. Um, that's when I had that third great awakening, uh, at least for the pastors. And that yep. is Ephesians 4, that we're to equip the right. saints for the work of the ministry. I thought I was this great leadership guy or this great you know, leadership guru uh, at the ripe age of 24, 25. And then you know, I had that very rude awakening. And I'm very thankful that I've had that, that I had that that early. Because, I mean, it's basically what I do now is try to go in – uh, to churches and um, gather pastors together and help them have that awakening, because we we preach the priesthood of the believer, but we don't practice the priesthood of the believer. We don't. Otherwise, we would give our ministry away. Yes, or, or we're almost afraid to. Yeah, we want to hold it too close to ourselves. It's an emotional sacerdotalism. Yep, I get that. Talk a, a little bit. I want you to explore a little bit about your own sense of, again, desire and passion for this, because I want to speak to the myth that men, particularly young men, feel if I really do what God wants me to do, it's going to make me miserable. Can you talk a little bit about the sense of desire and passion that you have for what you do right now and how the, the energy, the focus, the, the drive, all that kind of comes together when you think about this for you? Leadership development. I mean, you know, I would consider myself blessed and, and, you know, lucky, if you want to use that word, to be able to do uh, what I do is what I do for a living is also ministry. And I think when I look back at seminary and I see some of the guys that have fallen, that fallen out of ministry that I thought were, you know, more holy than I was, had better prayer lives. I mean, you know, they could pray down the kingdom, uh, when I look back and some of them are gone, I think in part it's because they compartmentalized their ministry. They, they compartmentalized their lives. When life is ministry and ministry is life, right? why on earth would you compartmentalize it? Because when Christ died on the cross, uh, the veil was written too between the sacred and the secular. And so there's no division. There's no division. There's no division. There's no division. So I think in seeing it in that way, and um, it's not just not just verbally, but you know, truly understanding that and taking it to heart, and waking up each day and saying, okay, you know, whatever whatever it is I get to do, uh, I am going to do it to the glory of the Lord. Um, there's some there's some periods in life where I'm not doing exactly you know, what I want to do. Um, but I'm doing those things well and I'm being responsible and I'm leading myself well in order that I might have enough margin to do that thing that I'm called to do until um, I can find, you know, more and more margin to do it. Sure, sure. And I think that's important to note because sometimes when we're given a sense of what we're supposed to do, we just have to sort of step out and start, even though we're not quite sure where it's going to go, or how it's all going to right. work together. And uh, we just step out on what we know, trusting that God's going to fill in the gaps. And, it's, and, and it often happens in a way that we're not – we didn't see. 
Right. It comes to us as a surprise. And I think that's a, another piece of this quest and calling. We just simply act on whatever we know. We just go there, and then the next step will come as we go. Right. Instead of trying to figure it all out beforehand. Well, I think, too, it's about discipline. And nobody wants to hear about Nobody wants to hear that. But, you know, just like the spiritual disciplines, they're a discipline for a reason. You don't see fruit overnight. It just suddenly happens. You just suddenly wake up and you're like, whoa, there's a, where did this come from? This was here, but I, I didn't see it until now. And it is that it's not easy to wake up and do this every day. And for, sometimes for years um, or sometimes for months or sometimes through trial and pain. And, you know, there's going to be ebbs and flows in all of it. And I think, you know, it's just like any you, – you hear all these um, success stories about startups and all this. And, you know, the overnight success happened over 10 years, you know. It wasn't an overnight we, success. We, yes, and it's almost always a series of failures that they keep pushing through. Absolutely. Almost universally, every success story. Satan's number one job, once you accept Christ, is to keep you in neutral. That's his one number one job. So as a man, if he can use sin to do that. It doesn't or, really matter. It doesn't just, matter. Yeah, just, just so long as you keep you neutralized. Um, his job is to figure out what's going to keep you neutral as, uh, neutral as possible, whether that be sin, doubt, fear, um, I don't know, your phone, like whatever distraction. Uh, it can be any number of those things. And he's going to find out what's your what's your thing to keep you in neutral because that's his number one job. Yeah, and You're th- lost. Yeah, he's just right. got to keep you from having fruit. And the and the you know and if you think about the quest idea, the quest idea is is definitely you are in drive motion. You you know you're moving forward, right. and that's that's that sense that he doesn't want us to to get into because once a man gets on that um, that thread, that sort of train of his life, you know he's hard to stop. Yeah. And he's a force to be dealt with. And that's the sort of men we want to raise up in terms of leadership development. Talk um, just practically. What do you think a man needs to accomplish his quest? I mean, what, what the, the range of things. He has a sense of what he needs to be doing in his life, whatever that may be. Um, what do you think he needs to kind of accomplish that? Hmm. I would say um, knowing himself. First and foremost, uh, you know, I'm always shocked at how many people don't know how to position themselves in areas of strength. I mean, just self-awareness. Just self-awareness. Basic self-awareness. Yeah. I mean, if you look at emotional intelligence, you know, the, the there's a, a lovely quadrant there. It's about um, self-management, self-awareness, um, social management, social awareness. Really, at the end of the day, if you boiled all that down, it's about having the fruit of the Spirit. Because anybody that displayed the fruit of the Spirit, you would say, is emotionally intelligent, would you not? Yes. And so um, it is recognizing, I think, okay, this is my personality type and my Enneagram and you know my strength finder. All those things are really super helpful. But a spiritually mature believer will overcome all of that. I mean, from the aspect of strengths and weaknesses, you know, those are good things to know. Those are good things to apply. Absolutely. But your number one job is to become more like Christ. And if you do that. Who was the most emotionally aware? If you do that, these things are all these things are all going to come together. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, Let's go here for a minute. Um, 
how have others spoken into your life and helped you understand your sense of calling and quest? A lot of times, again, men, one of their uh, big weaknesses, we tend to think we're going to figure this out on our own, which is just, you know, gets us into a lot of trouble. Talk about how others have helped position you and helped speak into your life to do what you're doing now. I would say um, there's two really big things. Um, first of all would be men that were models that sometimes I didn't even know they were models at the time. Like if you looked at my dad early on, I would have said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to be anything like my dad. He works all the time. He, you know, spends all his time with church people. Um, he is meek and I didn't want to be meek. turns out I'm not meek at all. Uh, but there's a lot now that I learned from my dad. And I went from, I don't want to be like that, to I could never be like, I, I could never be that good. I could never be as humble, as meek. As good as he was. Oh, as good as, I'm like, you know, people will look at, I mean, I just got back from India, getting to train pastors in India. And my dad, you know, very rarely goes outside of his his community. But in his community, it's just unbelievable the the, the, reach that he's had, the consistency that he has and pays off. He's, you know, there's they're baptizing a half a dozen people every year in a church of 120. And so that's an amazing thing. And it's not just, I mean, old people come into Christ. And it is that daily grind uh, that does that. And so when I look at my life and some of the impact I've been able to have, um, it I, like I don't want to be behind him in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't want to be behind him in line. Um, because I look at him and say, I'll, I'll never be as good. You know, I'll never be as honoring to the Lord. So, yeah, yeah. I, I look at people like that. Um, so it is people that model that, uh, people that, you know, pour into you. Absolutely. We can all look back at two or three men or women of God that make us who we are. Um, but for me, a lot of it was, it was those good and godly people that couldn't ask me a good coaching question, quote unquote, to save their life. But they cared. Um, and many times they were given some kind of framework, uh, you know, a, a curriculum or something to walk through. They were perfectly capable of having that conversation. They were just there. They were present. And they were intentional about walking me through it. So it really was, it, it really has been the people that um, were intentional with me more than anything. And it didn't matter. uh who they were. So modeling and then uh, people walking through intentionally. And lastly, I would say people that had the courage to confront me, especially when, um, especially when I was in a position of authority over them uh, in previous, you know, right. roles and even in my current role. And that takes some courage. Oh, that takes some courage. And, uh, you, you know, we don't learn without people. We can't move forward in our own maturity and development unless we're willing to receive feedback. Um, if you really want to take a step forward, you're going to look for feedback and ask for feedback and come at it from a posture of, hey, I, I don't want you to just, you know, encouraging me by telling me what I want to hear, but how I respond when you, you know, yeah. give me some maybe negative feedback yeah. or something that's not so nice. And tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Yeah, so if you can surround yourself with, with people uh, like that, Speak find some good models. Yeah that maybe aren't, you know, somebody else might look at this and be like, why are you following this guy? You know, why, why, uh, how, how is this person speaking into your life when you 
have already you know gone further in your career. Well, that may not be. They've gone further in their walk with Christ, and that's what I want to be. I want to be the father that they are, or I want to be the man of God they are. I want to pray like that person. So, you know, think outside the box a little bit for those types of models, and then definitely seek, definitely seek people that are going to spur you on and yeah. come alongside you. Well, yeah, that's that's great advice. Let's let's finish with this. How. You know, when, it, when God calls us out to take on something, to do something, it's inevitably going to hit roadblocks and obstacles and oppositions. That's just the theme of every story in the Bible. So talk about how can we remain faithful when it gets really tough and we want to quit? Um, I think it's just, it's just um, continuing to walk in that same direction, uh, even— you know, it's the it's the idea of the twenty mile march. Are you familiar with twenty mile yeah, march? No, I'm not. Tell me about it. Okay, it's basically, hey, we're gonna. It doesn't matter what the terrain is. We're gonna march twenty miles today. Doesn't matter um, if it's hills or uphill or downhill, flatland or not. We're just gonna do it every day. We march Get twenty miles. And so some days it's gonna be good, and we're gonna have momentum, and we're gonna march twenty miles. Some days we're gonna walk all night through the rain, but we're going to march 20 miles. And so it is sticking with the really basic stuff like our spiritual disciplines, like being a learner. Cause in, in this day and age, if you're not a learner, you got a short shelf life. I mean, you have to, as a leader, um, a big, a big role that I have is actually to learn in front of people. Right. Is to be that model. Yep. Um, so I can't lead people in a direction I'm not going myself. You know, we, we all know those those types of sayings. But in reality, it boils down to the 20-mile march every day. This is what we're going to do. We may do. There's a lot of things we may do, but we're at least we're just, doing this that's right. every just, day. That's right. Get doesn't it matter done, what the weather is. That's right. Doesn't matter what I feel like. Doesn't matter if I do it with a limp. It's 20 miles. Get up and march. And yep. I think there's something about that attitude that – synergizes and again focuses a man and helps him um, move forward even when he does feel like giving up because it's like you know what we're just going to get this done today we're going to keep going we're going to keep moving no matter what absolutely and that's the difference in leading people too that's the difference in somebody I can't remember oh there were two there were great orators in Greece uh, and you know, it was like when this person talks, everybody says, great speech. When this person oh, speaks, right. yeah, I know this story. Yeah. let's march. That's right. Let's get it. And it's yeah. going to be a lot easier for when I speak, everybody to say, let's march, if they see me marching every day. This has been Heroic. Join us for the next episode as we turn to more practical ways to help men as they awaken to their identity and their quest. If you're enjoying the Heroic Podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, The Surprising Path to True Manhood. Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to heroicbook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's heroicbook.com.